Alrighty, so if you would like to turn to uh, Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, verses, um, oh, what are we looking at this morning? Sorry. <laughs> I haven't got my, it's 12, isn't it? Yes, so Second Chronicles 21 to 12. Sorry about that. Um, unfortunately, um, the person who was doing the Bible reading isn't able to this morning, so you're stuck with me. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 12. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now hear a man from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his word. Well, uh, we're wrapping up our 21 days of prayer for revival today. It finishes right across QB and uh, there's a number of congregations right across our state that will be meeting via Zoom this evening at 7pm for one final prayer meeting. We will be having a church service so we can't actually join that. But I ask you to continue to pray and uh, as Pastor Darrell shared, we had a great time here yesterday. Uh, It was just a drop-in type day where people could come anytime they wanted and there was a number of people came in and engaged uh, with the various stations that were around the church and you can see all the little people on the side window here they are prodigals and lost people that have been prayed for yesterday that alone think about the people who've been prayed for who wouldn't have been prayed for if we didn't actually do this yesterday god is incredibly good and we're incredibly blessed uh, to worship a lord who genuinely cares for us so 21 days of prayer has happened and there was things that we were prompted to do there was movement of holy spirit there's been so many stories come back to the leadership about how lives have been changed and transformed because people have encountered god in going through those personal devotions day by day and the thing is so often as we do these very focused events we we get into day three or four or five just after it and we forget what it was that we heard we forget what it was that we learned and we slowly slip away again we see that with israel over and over they have these mountaintop experiences with god and then they're in the deep valleys where suddenly they've forgotten what god is like and i suppose today is a call to remember remember your first love remember when you first gave your life to christ remember what that was like and now if you've had this experience of spiritual revival if you've been drawn closer to god in these last 21 days don't forget that 
Take time to remember. If you're a person who journals, journal those things that God says to you. Write them down. So when you hit those times of doubt, you don't doubt God. You doubt your doubts because you go back to your journal and you say, well, this is what God did. If he did it then, he can do it again. And remind each other. Encourage each other. Spur each other onto greater works. But there's other things that we should be doing. We should be remaining consistent. We should be disciplined followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think when we look at Jehoshaphat's story today, we will see that Jehoshaphat, his life was transformed. He had this revival as well. And he put some things in place to ensure that he would continue to follow the Lord. So we're looking at Jehoshaphat's prayer today. I've forgotten something. Can, can you pass me up the? Otherwise, I'd be going. Thank you. Thanks. That's very good. Thank you. Appreciate that. You did it very well too. I don't think I could have done it better myself. So we're looking at Jehosh- Jehoshaphat's prayer this morning. And it's found in Second Chronicles 20. But before we cover that, um, I think that uh, the first one here... I don't even know what that is. No, that comes later. That's okay. So, so verse 1 in what we read this morning of 2 Chronicles 20 says, After this. And so we should rightfully ask, after what? So if you're reading anything like that, you need to go back and find out exactly what it was that happened prior to. So I believe in understanding why Jehoshaphat has prayed the way he does, we need to look at what has happened before. And so in, in chapter 18, uh, we find that King Jehoshaphat uh, had made an alliance with King Ahab. And uh, King Ahab was one of the most evil kings that ever reigned over Israel. And in fact, it says here that um, King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those who came before him. And so part of Jehoshaphat's alliance with Ahab was that they would go into battle together. And in that battle, Ahab was killed with a stray arrow. And then Jehoshaphat, after that, is rebuked upon his return to Jerusalem um, by Hanani for going into battle with an ungodly man. And so the good news is Jehoshaphat acknowledges his sin. He acknowledges that he was wrong before God. And he immediately turns back to God and he seeks the Lord and, and he wants to live for him. But the crazy thing is, the great thing, like crazy in a good way, the great thing is Jehoshaphat wasn't ex- interested in doing that just on his own. He wanted the whole of Israel to turn back to God. And, and so he too is from Jerusalem to Bathsheba and then to Mount Ephraim. And he brings the people of Israel back to God. And so we have Jehoshaphat is not only the king of the people, he becomes their priest as well because he leads them back into the presence of God. He reinstates the things that they should be doing to bring honor and glory to God. And the people of Israel follow him in drawing back to the God of their fathers. And so Jehoshaphat appoints these judges throughout Israel and he taught and warned them that the fear of the Lord should be upon them. And he meant that they're going to be judging people and they should judge them righteously. They should be aware that the way that they judge, they're going to stand before God at some time. And so their judgment should be accountable. They, they should be accountable in their judgments and their judgment should be acceptable to God. And so Jehoshaphat, after his indiscretion, is back on track, living the way that he should be and the way that he was described in Second Chronicles 17, that he was a good king who had a courageous heart and is courageous in the things of God. And it's clear to see that Jehoshaphat had turned back to God and he experienced this revival himself. But he was also instrumental in bringing Israel back to God as well. So, as is often the case, when everything seems to be going incredibly well, this curveball comes out of nowhere or from left field. 
And this is what has happened to Jehoshaphat. So before we get into it, let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit is moving amongst us here at SDBC. I thank you for the great works that you're doing. And Lord, I pray you continue that great work. And Lord, we just pray this morning we'll hear your voice. We pray, Lord, that there'll be soft hearts here. We pray that we'll all be receptive to you and your word, whether here in the auditorium or at home, Lord. Father, this time's for you. Let us submit fully to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we heard this morning from the reading, Jehoshaphat is threatened with war. And the Moabites, the Ammonites and some others were coming against him. And these armies were about 42 k's uh, as the crows flows from Jerusalem. And to actually travel from Engedi to Jerusalem would take about 15 hours. Um, so this is a very real and present threat, a very real and present danger to Jehoshaphat and to Jerusalem. And here is this man who has turned from his sin and is now living for God in such a way that he's drawn an entire nation back to God. And in, in our thinking in our flesh we say well this guy is honoring and glorifying God this guy is doing everything that he should do why wouldn't God allow him to live at peace why wouldn't God just bless his work and allow that to continue and if anyone could say why me it is possibly Jehoshaphat he has honored and glorified God in all that he's done but instead in the midst of everything he turns to God what we find happening is that Jehoshaphat is very well aware of who his enemy is. This massive army is gathering against him. And he knows that he doesn't have the power or ability to stand against them. And so he does the only thing that we should all do in each and every situation. He calls a prayer meeting. He calls a nation to pray. And what we need to realize is that knowing and trusting God doesn't mean we'll be 100% confident in our walk with him. And when we look at this, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. We don't know what he's afraid of. It may have been that he's afraid of his own defeat and death. It may have been that he feared for his people that he ruled over, that they would suffer greatly from these invading armies. It may have been that he feared that the Lord's name would have been slandered or dragged through the mud as a result of this army coming in and dishonoring God and dishonoring the temple. But being afraid is not a sin. When we're afraid, it's what we do with that feeling. It's what we do in a response that really does actually count. And so Jehoshaphat did exactly what he should. He came into the presence of God. He turned to God and he called all the people together to fast and pray. This is exactly the response that should have happened. Those people, they came. They came for all those that were in Jerusalem and all those that were in the towns of Judah. They came together. They had one purpose, one focus, one aim, one goal, and they wanted to seek the Lord together. They were united in that. Men, women and children and they fasted and they prayed and they cried out to God and if we want to experience victory if we want to experience transformation and change if we want to have victory over those battles in our lives we have to fight and we have to fight smart and the smartest way we can fight is on our knees taking our problems to God it doesn't matter what they are we need to take them to him 
And it's not as a last resort. It should be the first port of call. So often we come to God when all other avenues that we can do ourselves have been exhausted, but we should come to him first. He is the purpose of our lives. He is the number one priority. And that's what Jehoshaphat does. He simply comes and he talks to God. All of Judah and the cities of Judah gathered to seek the help of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood before the assembly of the people of Judah and Jerusalem in the temple, the house of the Lord. And he begins with this. This is adoration. This is magnifying the Lord's name. This is praise, honor, and glory. This is Jehoshaphat looking to an all-powerful, all-knowing God, acknowledging who he really is. He is the God who rules and reigns over our lives. It is he who decides the number of each of our days. It is he who is clothed in unapproachable light. He has 10,000 times 10,000 angels around him, and they cry constantly, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is seated on a throne that no one and nothing will ever remove him from. He's clothed with all power and all might. And it doesn't matter who is smashing down the gates. They will never be able to withstand our God. Ever. And we need to see a vision of God as Isaiah did. We need to see a vision as John on the Isle of Patmos did. And if we don't receive those visions, then we need to believe the scripture accounts, the first-hand accounts we have of who our God is and how magnificent and mighty he is. He is our God. And Jehoshaphat is pressed on all sides and he still pauses to praise, honour and glorify God. And then Jehoshaphat reminds God of his promises to Israel, to give them this land forever. And then he speaks about the building of the temple and the pledge the people of God made to him when the temple was built. And Jehoshaphat said, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and be before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. And here they are, Jehoshaphat, the people of Jerusalem and all of Judah standing before the temple of God, doing exactly what they pledged that they would do, ensuring that in their time of need, they come to the Lord and cried out to him. Why? Because God will hear them and he will save them. And they believe that. Jehoshaphat, on behalf of the people, tells God of the strength of the forces that are coming against them. He calls on God to act, and he does that because they're powerless to act against them. It's an acknowledgement and declaration of their dependence totally upon God. And realistically, we should do the same. Our lives are dependent upon God. And this dependence, Jehoshaphat expresses in times of blessing and in times of good. And it's now that he's in a time of great need. It's a plea, not just for Jehoshaphat, but for every man, woman and child gathered before God. It's a call to not allow anything, to not allow any one of us, but especially our children, who God has blessed us with, to suffer at the hands of those who are coming. And as always seems to be the case, when we're willing to humble ourselves before our Lord, he responds. Jehoshaphat, this great godly king, admits, Lord, I don't know what to do. 
I don't have an answer to the situation and the problem that I have. Ever been in that situation? I know I have. And Jehoshaphat says, Lord, I, I don't have the answers, but I'm looking to you. I, I'm seeking you for your guidance, for your provision, for your wisdom. We, we cannot do this, Lord, and we cannot and will not look anywhere else for our delivery. You alone can do it for us, God. And we trust you. We will lean upon you. We will wait upon you. And God responds through Jahaziel. And he said, Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Think of all that's happened in this count so far. Jehoshaphat heard about the armies gathered against him in Israel, and he was very afraid. He thought through what he may be able to do as king, and he admits that he is powerless to bring victory, but he's learned to trust God in all things. And so he goes to him and says, and God says, don't fear, I've got this. This isn't a battle you and your people are going to fight. This battle is mine. I'm going to look after it. And then God says again through the prophet, go down tomorrow against them. I don't know what happened there. I've lost everything. That's all right. So God says, go down tomorrow against them. God says, I know exactly where they are. I know where they are camping. I know what they are doing. And, and I know their strengths and I know their power. And I and I alone, I'm going to defeat this vast army. You don't have to do anything, but stand firm and watch. That's what I want you to do. I just want you to stand firm and watch because I will defeat this army. So don't be afraid. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And Jehoshaphat and all of Israel believed. Yep, no, something's happened there. Don't worry about it. Thank you. So the fourth point is to trust God. They believed, so they trusted God. And so sitting, in here, sitting here in church this morning or in the comfort of your home, it, it may be easy to say that we trust God, especially in Australia. It's very easy to trust God. I, I just love the illustration. And when you think about it, we're, we're so privileged in this country. If we were to walk out of church and there was a man who obviously looks very poor, dressed in ragged clothes, laying in the street unconscious, what would we do? We'd phone an ambulance. And that guy would get picked up by that ambulance. He'd get taken to a hospital. He'd get the best medical treatment you can possibly get. And he gets it all for free. Why don't we trust God? Because we are so privileged in this country. We can do it all ourselves. And yet we have to transfer that. This 21 days of prayer for revival is all about saying, it's not about us, Lord. It's not about us depending on our abilities, our strengths, our finances, all we're blessed with in this country. It's about saying, we are privileged to live in this country, to be born here at this time or to live here at this time. And we thank God for that. But we are still dependent upon you for all that we have. What I have is yours, God. And we need to get that. We need to trust God for all that we have. But we sit here and it's so easy for us to say we trust God. Jehoshaphat has three armies at the door. And he likewise just sits comfortably and says, I'm going to trust God. He's got this. And in 2 Chronicles 20, 18 and 19, Jehoshaphat bows his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and they worshipped him. Three armies at the door. They're face down worshipping God. And the Levites stood up to praise the Lord. 
the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. The king of Israel, greatly admired, highly respected, bows before God, face to the ground. And all Judah follows him in prostrating themselves before the God, before God, worshipping him, for hearing and answering him. Have they seen the answer? No. But they believe God is going to answer. And they believe that answer when it comes is going to be something that is the best possible answer they could have. They are trusting in God. And then the man, King David, appointed to be in charge of song in the house of the Lord, rose to their feet and they sang praises to God. Some were bowed before God, some were standing in worship, honouring and glorifying him. The armies were still camped against them, but they responded believing God, praising him for the victory he had already provided in word to them. And they hadn't seen it yet. And this was not a timid expression. These guys... They praise God with a very loud voice. I wonder how loud that was and how close the armies were at that stage and if they were able to hear those voices. It's interesting though, it's a rare movement of God if he doesn't require a response from his people. When we believe, we're called to obey. These guys believe God's answer, but they're called to do something. And they have to respond. They believed that God was going to deliver them from these great armies, but they had to obey him. God told them to go forth to a certain place, and they obeyed and did that. And and we can't say we've got faith if there's no obedience in the midst of that, and an obedience that promptly moves us to action. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat calls to them, they said, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. And for those who don't know the rest of the story, Jehoshaphat comes to the battlefield... Israel's on one mountain, the three armies are gathered on the other mountain, waiting to tear Israel to shreds. An incredibly formidable force. So Israel has to come up with their best strategy. They have to come up with what's going to work in this situation. So Jehoshaphat calls the choir to go fight the battle. Good strategy, hey? I don't know if their singing was particularly bad when they were in the temple or what, I don't know, but they get sent out in front. This is what Jehoshaphat's called to do. It makes no sense. It's not logical. But this is God's battle. It's not a man's battle. And so these guys go out, these singers go out, and they praise God. And God's plans and purposes always work. Has he ever lost a battle? Nope. Will he ever lose a battle? Nope. There is no confrontation that comes against God that he doesn't win. And so we can have great confidence when he calls us to do something, he's not going to lose. It may seem crazy, it may seem illogical, but his ways are the best ways. And so Jehoshaphat sends out this choir, these guys sing, and what happens? The other army is just totally confused. We don't know how that confusion came upon them, but they're just totally confused. They end up fighting each other, and they totally destroy each other. Israel wins without raising a sword. They just raise their voices. So what does that all mean for us? I stand before you today, I'm aware of some of the difficulties and issues that some of you are facing. Uh, We're working through some terrible, terrible things that are happening in people's lives. But for the most part, I've got no idea what's going on in your life. There's no way I could possibly know. We've just completed 21 days of prayer for revival. And and as I said before, many of you have testified to the change that that's brought, your nearness to God now, how you've been challenged more through Scripture, how you've been talking to others about your Lord because you feel that that's what God has called you to do. 
And if we want this to continue, if we want to draw even closer to him, then we need to put some things in place to make that continue to happen. We need to take what God reveals to us and not just say, that was a good word, that was well said, or whatever. We should learn from it. We should claim these truths for ourselves. It should be something that transforms us and draws us closer to him. Think about the points of the message this morning. Turn to God. Talk to God. Believe he will respond. Trust him in all things. Some of you are experiencing financial difficulties. Some of you are suffering from abusive relationships. Some of you are picking up the pieces of broken relationships and marriages. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you are suffering with ill health. Some of you have received terrible prognoses and don't have long with us. Whatever it is, trying to face these things is so overwhelming at times and none of us are going to say anything different. And it's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know how to move forward. We should start with God. Remember who he is. That, that's what Jehoshaphat did. He reminded himself that God is enthroned in heaven. He rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. In his hand is such power and might that nothing and no one can stand against him. And the simple truth is, God is bigger than any problem we will ever face. It sounds flippant, it sounds cliche, but it's true. God is bigger than any problem we will ever face. Nothing is too hard for him. In him, all things are possible. Three nations, three mighty nations, were gathered against Jehoshaphat. They defeated him with a song as directed by the Lord. That leads to the second thing we should do. We should remember all God has done in the past. I, I told you this at the start. Do you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus, that incredible blessing when our eyes were open to the reality of him? Uh, it was an incredible experience for me. And I have to be honest, there, there was just this moment where I thought I was invincible. I thought I would be able to do anything that come against me. But things did come against me. And I can testify, although I was weak, although I didn't know what to do at times, God was present. He was my encourager. He was my strength. And he did do great and mighty things. Remember those times that you prayed and the answer came back in such a way where, where you were just without doubt saying, this is an answer from the Lord. This is him. There is no other way this could have happened. We need to remember these things. We need to remember that God is faithful. He answers us and he answers us when we pray. We don't always get the answers we want, but God can do these things. And when we look back, we can see that he's done incredible things for us. I've seen multiple people miraculously healed. I've seen timely provision for people who had nothing left. I've seen so many people brought into the kingdom. I've seen lives transformed because of that. People who were considered hopeless and useless and unworthy God just loved them and brought them into his kingdom and if God has done that before he'll do it again we need to remember he will never leave us he will never forsake us he calls us sons and daughters and he desires to give us good gifts his storehouses are inexhaustible 
So I know that I can come to him with confidence and I can ask for anything within his will and he will give it to me. Especially when it's in line with scripture. God, you've done this before. You can do it again. I'm just asking for you to do it. That's what Jehoshaphat did, wasn't it? And if if God did it for him, why wouldn't he do it for us? And we need to tell God exactly how we feel. Think about Jehoshaphat. He said, I am afraid. And so in the midst of our prayers, we should be able to say, I am afraid, I am inadequate, I don't know what to do in this situation, I need your help, I need your encouragement, I need your guidance. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm broken. Whatever it is, we need to be honest. We need to be genuine. We need to be open and vulnerable to him. We need to be clear and specific about what we need from him. And we should be aware he's always there. And our problems should not overwhelm us. We should just go to him. And we shouldn't believe the lies that we get told by the evil one. He will subtly tell us that God doesn't care about you. That God doesn't care about your problems. The God is distant and way off. He's not interested in you. The God doesn't care about what you're presently going through. You need to reject all of that. They're all lies. Because God cares so much for each and every one of us. I was in a very dark place not too many years ago. And God was good to me. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I'm sure you'll agree with me when you see people who have downtrodden, depressed, not feeling as if life's worth it, their head drops. And just remembering Psalm 121, I I remember. Feeling like there was no future. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Just that act of lifting our eyes lifts us from our problems. It helps us to focus on this God who loves and cares for us so much. And he's present. He loves us. He deeply cares for us. So much so that he sent his only son to die for us. And again, that sounds like a Christian cliche, but just think about that. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the gift and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will never experience greater love than that. He wants the very best for us. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows everything there is to know about me. And you know what? He loves you anyway. In a nutshell, we should be able to express thankfulness to God regardless of what we are facing. And we all have problems. But we can thank God in advance, praising and honouring him because he not only hears our prayers, he answers our prayers. And there's no situation that he's incapable of dealing with. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. I want to thank you for your love that you pour out upon us. I want to thank you for how you constantly challenge me when I read your word when I pray, when I'm with others who are suffering, Lord. But Lord, I just pray 
that you're giving us an awareness of your presence and power. I pray, Lord, that in the good times and the bad, when we're in great joy, great sorrow, in misery, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that we will turn to you. I pray that we'll talk to you about it. And Lord, we don't need deeply spiritual prayers. We just need to be honest with you. So I ask that you'll allow us to do that. And Lord, I ask that you'll give us that strength of belief, knowing that you will respond. You hear our prayers as soon as we pray them, Lord. And the answer's already on its way. We won't always get the answers we want, Lord, but we will get what you think is best for us. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to trust you in all things. And Lord, for us as a people, please continue to build the unity that you've started building here at SDBC. Lord, there's so many pockets of people who are trusting each other more, confiding each other more, confessing and praying together, Lord. Continue to build that, I pray until we are one people, one mind, one focus, united in God. Lord, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we are united with him and your church. Unity is to be protected, not strived for, Lord. And it is our actions and attitudes which break that unity. Please forgive us for the things we do which break unity. And Lord, let us be a people who decide today to protect unity from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.